0: back to Butter With That, a movie podcast where some friends from Philadelphia get together and talk about movies, among other things. It's uh, rated the number one movie podcast in the world, according to my dad.
1: Aww. Aww. Did your dad really say that?
0: <laughs> well, it's it's one of the few podcasts he listens to. As, as far as I know. He's getting on board with them, but... Thanks, uh, Dad. But yeah, thanks, Dad. It just warmed
2: Aww. my cold Thanks, Dave's, heart. Dad. <laughs> Thank you,
3: Dave's dad. Dave's
0: dad. Could mount all
2: the snow in Fargo, North Dakota. Yeah. Well,
0: <laughs> Which, uh, actually, incidentally, uh, ties into what we're doing here today. We, uh... Um,
3: shockingly. <laughs> shockingly. We're
0: wrapping out the, uh, December into January, uh, theme of cold movies, um... With that being pretty open to interpretation as far as what we're bringing to the table, so um, the my choice uh, for the category was the uh, 1996 Joel and Ethan Cohen film Fargo. I chose it uh, for pretty obvious reasons, I suppose, as we'll cover. Mm. Um, There's a lot of snow. <laughs> there is a lot of snow. It looked real. Was it real? Do you know? That, that's the most important question. Uh, we'll, we'll get back to that.
4: <laughs> <laughs> this is a larger discussion.
0: But just so you folks know, it's uh, it's an episode where uh, it's a bonus feature episode, as we do each month, so we're breaking from format a little bit, and we're all just talking about the movie, where we've all just watched it together. Now, uh, Christine and I have seen the film before, but Sam, Tori, and Connor, this is their first time viewing Fargo. True. How do you guys feel about the movie in general?
4: I'm very happy I watched it. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah, me too. Oh, yeah, that was good. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, can
1: I say that normally I get a little bit bored watching almost any movie, but I never did.
4: And I've watched a lot of Coen Brothers movies so I f- this has always been one that's like kind of on a shame list for me like I should have definitely seen <laughs> yeah. this by now so I'm very happy. I feel
1: like a better person now. Yeah, somehow. Mhm.
2: It's interesting that the same pe- that they, they just made so many different types of movies. Mhm. Uh, like this is worlds away from No Country for Old Men. And oh, this was I love a,
0: that movie. a fantastic movie. This was at a time, though, also when they described themselves as taking on movies that were exactly that, where they wanted to do something different with every film and not really strike so much of a, a, a chord and a consistency in terms of their subject matter, but in terms of their tone and exploring it.
5: Although, would their next movie have been Big Lebowski? It was. If this after was 96. This. Yeah, oh, I feel like there's a lot of parallels, though. You have, like, mm-hmm. the classic Ransom, like, the kidnapping. <laughs> Um, lots of random foibles and cars and like kidnappings going wrong and money and
4: and even just the casting and the right yeah. yeah.
0: Well, that was one thing too that uh, I think. From what I understand, they had already written The Big Lebowski or something like that and were seeking financing for it at the time they were making Fargo. Um, So they cast Steve Buscemi intentionally as a loudmouth character because he plays Donnie in The Big Lebowski and has next to no lines. (laughs) Um, So it's kind of like an evening act, I guess, that they did. Well, no,
5: but I feel like in The Big Lebowski he also plays a character that's like just when he's speaking just is incessant (laughs) and just won't shut up.
0: That's pretty true. Shut
5: up, Donnie. <laughs> um, and then that other, and then the other accomplice. Peter Stormare makes an appearance.
0: hmm But
5: what else has he been in?
0: Um well he was in yeah, in Big Lebowski. He was um the Russian cosmonaut in uh in Armageddon. hmm Um I don't know. He pops up. Yeah, He's someone I see a
4: lot, I think, but like never actually like think of him, you know,
0: mostly I think of him in this role when I think of uh, Peter Stormare Mm. Uh, and and same with Steve Buscemi. Honestly, this is sort of the movie I usually associate with him. Uh, So the film stars uh, Steve Buscemi and Peter Stormare, as well as uh, Frances McDormand, who went on to win um, Best Actress uh, in the uh, 97 Oscars for the role. Um, She plays uh, Marge Gunderson.
4: Well deserved. Mm-hmm. She was great.
0: Yeah. It's really the heart of the film, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. She and Norm, their relationship. And uh, just um, her, her also just doing really like sound and uh, reliable police work.
4: Yeah, she 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 was a fantastic detective. A great cop. Yeah. I would watch like a whole series of her solving different crimes.
1: Can I just say watching her character be so smart and intuitive while being so feminine in every way and also Mm -hmm. being pregnant was like the best fucking thing. (laughs) The whole time I was like, yes, this is
4: amazing. The pregnancy part was so interesting, too, because when we were watching it, I was like, this doesn't really seem like something that, like, the movie needed necessarily, but the fact that it is a part of it is just, like, adds, like, some interesting, like, tidbits and details to it. So I thought that was very cool.
0: And it was a, uh, it was a, uh, Frances McDormand was not pregnant at the time of filming. Mm-hmm. It was a uh, birdseed-filled suit that she wore, mm. um, and she made it a point not to... Not to make any effort to walk as like as one imagines or casts a pregnant woman to walk. She just tried to move Mm -hmm. with the physical limitation of the existing uh, prosthetic um, as naturally as she could, which makes it for which makes it, I guess, a more nuanced performance or a more believable performance, maybe.
4: And also I feel like that kind of works with her character as, like, a policewoman who's, like, she's pregnant, but she also has to, like, get stuff done that she would just try to be, like, I'm kind of forcing myself through
5: all of this stuff. Um, Yeah, Yeah, there's that one moment where she's first examining a shoe print, and then she bends down even closer, and then her partner's like, are you, like, what are you finding? She's like, no, I'm just, I I feel like I'm about to throw up. And then two seconds later,
1: she's like, it's gone. All right, let's move on.
0: (laughs) The morning sickness, Uh
1: Uh-huh, yeah. But she also just seems like someone like in like incredibly kind because her partner brings her that coffee. She definitely doesn't drink it. She's probably like, I've experienced this before, it's nasty because she throws it before mm-hmm. they actually get into the car. Mm-hmm. Which was something so subtle but like really appreciated. I didn't even that. Yeah, yeah, like really like fully rounds mm. out the character.
4: Yeah, because she seems like someone who's so genuine and so nice. And when I feel like on the surface you're introduced to her, you don't wouldn't necessarily assume she's also someone who's like very smart and very like good at her job and very observant and all of these things. And so then when that aspects of her character like kind of get introduced, you're like, oh whoa, like you're you're doing it all. You're being all of the things right now, which is kind yeah. of amazing.
1: And and like to that point, like her. Total interactions with that Mike character, mm. the one yeah. who just like randomly shows like up Yana from Gina. her past. Yeah. Um, her like continuing to be on the phone even though it's past eleven o'clock. <laughs> her actually meeting him when she goes into the city, and then also like that really strange interaction that they have. Which when they do meet at the Radisson for dinner, um, in my mind I was like, oh, this is everything that women go through all the time. Which is like you're getting this really strange advance from, like the sexual advance from a per- like from a. and a handled
4: it so well, yeah. especially for a movie like in like nineteen. 96, yeah, handled
1: it well, but also showed that like women always have to be apologetic, mm. even mm-hmm. when it's like an unwanted sexual advance from the other person. Mm. Cause she was like, no, that's, a, that's all right. That's all right.
0: Uh, yeah. When she, when he goes to the other side and tries to kind of lean in, she suggests that he go back to the other side and she says, oh, no, just so I don't have to turn my neck.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, like, she was very quick to be like, no, this makes me uncomfortable, which inherently is something a lot of women probably would not do because we feel like we're not allowed to do that in Mm -hmm. that space. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: And then, on the other hand, we also have uh, Jerry. uh, Jerry Lundegaard. (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, Sort of almost uh, kind of the central, in a way, villain of the film. These um, played pretty expertly by William H. Macy, who was also nominated for Best Supporting Actor for the role. Mm. Um, didn't win it, but, um, but ultimately uh, it did sort of like launch his career. This film launched the careers of a lot of the people involved. Mm-hmm. Um, when the film was nominated for Best Picture, Billy Crystal, who had hosted the Oscars for several years, strolled <laughs> out onto the stage and in his introductory monologue uh, turned to some of the indie filmmakers that were there in representation via like uh, the Coens and some other people and jokingly said, who are you, people? Mm. Um, but it was sort of a big deal because it was uh, a really big year in the early 90s or mid-90s for uh, independent films really contesting with uh, with big-budget films, mm. especially alongside films that came out in, like, the Miramax wave and so on. Hmm. Which we'll get back to. Yes.
3: But <laughs> before we get to
0: all that, uh, I would like to provide maybe just, like, a quick run-through of, uh, of the film, and mm-hmm. maybe we can pr- uh, provide some insight into some of our favorite scenes. The film opens with a... Uh, A static, uh, just sort of bit of information. This is a true story. uh, The film suggests Uh, the film is in no way based on on a uh, a true case. It's an amalgamation of like different stories that were kind of sewn together, um, and the Coens just sort of um, just sort of put that in in their description because they felt that the things that they had sewn together into this patchwork of uh, like established cases and criminality. <clears throat> and just a, a study of a thorough study of the place they were from, uh, Minnesota, the Midwest. Um, they felt it true enough that they could throw that in there, mm. I guess, is sort of their rationale. That's cool. And there was actually, a, a, because at one point in the film, as we'll get to, uh, some money is buried deeply in the snow in uh, Brainerd. And uh, there was a woman who was rumored to have gone there in the middle of dead of winter and tried to find this money and froze to death.
4: Oh, wow.
0: But we'll get back to that as well. (laughs) Um, But the film uh, just opens with this sort of snowscape. We meet uh, Jerry Lundegaard as he meets Carl Showalter and Gary Grimsford, uh, which is um, Steve Buscemi and Peter Stormare, respectively. They're in a bar and they're discussing uh, a plot to kidnap his wife for his father-in-law's ransom to absolve his legal and financial woes. Um, I really love this scene as an opening scene because it, at one moment really frames um, William H. Macy's character against um, <laughs> against Basemi and Stormare's character really well as far as what you can expect from these characters, where when pressed uh, by Carl and Gare, uh, Jerry just sort of, like, stumbles and says, like, you know, it's not important why I need this money. We don't need to talk about that, da-da-da-da. So he's kind of just seemingly, like, very uninformed about how to handle this scenario or, like, is... Uh, it doesn't really have all his ducks in a row and really out of thought league. it through way out mm. of his league. But then on the other hand, it returns to Steve Buscemi's, uh, immediate retort to that, which is "Well, Jerry you're asking us to go into this thing, but you won't, um, you won't. Mm. And then he forgets what he's trying to say and just sort of shrugs. Ah, fuck it. Let's go look at that Sierra. <laughs> Meaning the car. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're pretty ill equipped for this as well. It seems. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it kind of sets up a bungling at uh, atmosphere right at the onset of the film, I think.
5: Yeah, definitely. yeah, they're, the, they're both these sort of erratic figures that are like William H Macy's character is is sort of sort of like sniveling shit, but it has this sort of veneer of this sort of like kind, just sort of midwestern guy, but mm-hmm. really just a selfish a and garbage person, garbage bad guy, yeah. a very bad guy. Yeah. And Steve Buscemi is like just as erratic and just shitty but kind of on the other he's funny
0: looking full tilt it? <laughs> he's, he's, he's kind of he's funny, looking. Kind of funny <laughs> looking he wasn't <laughs> circumcised
5: but, but yeah just both elements of like chaos
0: yeah i think
2: um the other day dave when we were talking about this movie you were saying how the shemi and um what was the other guy's name The Mayor, how they're sort of like obvious evil and bad when like H H. macy's this like scarier kind of like
0: in a way, I mean, Steve Buscemi is kind of a, a neutral evil. He's doing it, you know, for his own for his own gain. I think Stormare is more chaotic evil. Yes. Um, because he's just sort of this character that's kind of lost in this silence um, and just kind of becomes a really imposing presence throughout the mm-hmm.
5: film. But he is sort of focused.
0: Oh, absolutely. And he
5: gets the job done when it, I mean...
0: <laughs> to, to some horrifying ends, but Right,
5: yeah. right, where he sort of has this... Sort of single-mindedness about carrying out certain functions—a
0: kind of will, yeah. But at
5: the end, does he
4: even care about any of that? And that's because, the thing. like <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, like by the end of it, it's just like utter chaos, and you're like, mm-hmm. he's just killing because he's killing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, yeah.
0: And then so we we get a little bit into uh, what's going on with Jerry at his, at home. We meet Wade, his father-in-law. Gene, his wife, and Scotty, his son. Uh, There's a discussion between uh, Wade and Jerry about uh, developing some commercial space, which seems like one of the things that he's trying to do uh, to also make a a lot of money to absolve his legal problems or whatever it is. Um, But it seems though Wade is pretty disinterested to the point that um, it establishes Wade's dislike of Jerry, as he uh, points out. Uh, William H. Macy's character making this pitch, you know, oh, this would really help out me, Gene, and Scotty. Mm. Uh, to which he, his cold response is, Gene and Scotty never have to worry.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like, damn.
0: It's pretty blunt. Um, so Jerry himself is a uh, works at a car dealership. It seems as though he's got some sort of almost Ponzi backing scheme going on mm-hmm. there, where uh, he owes a lot of money on some vehicles that don't exist. Um, and he... Uh, he, we learn also that he's been working with um, one of the mechanics there, uh, Shep Proudfoot, um, in connecting him with Steve Buscemi and uh, Stormare um, in this plot to kidnap his wife. So at one point, he gets the call from Wade, uh, and it sounds like he's going to go for the land development deal, and as such, he needs to call off this hit. So he goes to speak to Shep, um, who points out that, like, well, he doesn't have an alternate number for them. And I love the scene in a way because William H. Macy just sort of slinks away and it's clearly like there's a serious problem but he mm-hmm. just sort of like backs away in a pretty like sniffling and cowardly mm-hmm. fashion as he does with everything in the film really.
1: Yeah. I was just thinking about the the like kidnapping scene, the eventual mm-hmm. kidnapping scene which is what And that comes
0: about. up pretty much next, yeah.
1: And and the wife's name is Jean. Jean. Mm-hmm. Jean, something I thought was like really brilliant, and I was like, "Hell yeah!" Is when Jean is like opening the window and makes yeah. him think that she actually went out, but really she was just <clears throat> in the the shower the whole time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> runs away with the shower curtain over. Her. I, I mean, like that, it, you know. So no,
4: like you're right. You're like, oh, very smart. But then that happens, and you're like, what the fuck?
5: <laughs> yeah. So, b- Blood Simple that Francis McDormand stars in it, like can't like one of their Coen brothers' first movies. I think it is maybe their first movie. Maybe their first movie. There's an epic escape scene involving Frances McDormand, like, getting out of a bathroom when people are about to, like, kill her. Mm -hmm. And that was, like, the well-executed version of this scene. But I was like, ooh, they love this, like, bathroom scene, window in the back, like... Finding great escape routes, kind of setups, and I, yeah, mm-hmm. and right, you're like, but yet she's behind the curtain, and yeah, that, that reflection when you're like, fuck, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, <laughs> yep. I mean, that was like clearly for comedy's sake, but like, it was still kind of awesome to mm-hmm. think that like she could outsmart them that way. She, yeah, she keeps going. Mm-hmm.
0: The thing I love about that scene is it oscillates so well between hilarious and horrifying. Because she's Mm -hmm. just sitting there watching television, um, and like there's something funny going on on TV. She's even laughing to herself. Steve Buscemi just sort of walks up with a ski mask and is peering through the door because he can't see. And she's just kind
4: of like sitting there, like stares at him. (laughs) him,
0: Up until we get the swell with the music as he bursts through with the crowbar. Suddenly Mm. she's really engaged and she runs. Peter Stormare as just sort of mountain of a guy bursts through the front door and tries to restrain her. She runs upstairs. She runs into the bathroom, and she's frantically trying to call the police, and from under the door, they yank the phone cord right out of her hand. That was
4: kind of cool. <laughs> yes.
0: it's so, it The whole thing is set up so grimly, and then... But you can also hear, as they're trying to break down the door, mm-hmm. Steve Buscemi using the crowbar, um, and them having some sort of apparent argument or disagreement about it because you hear Steve Buscemi shout, You want to do it? <laughs> so it, it bounces, and then, of course, when she finally bursts out from behind the shower curtain, she's, like, hilariously, you know... Mm-hmm sort of uh, running around with the uh, shower curtain kind of blinding her and bumping into things but then she falls down the stairs and is knocked out. Mm. I thought she died. I did too. For I did too. Because like, yeah, yeah.
4: he, he pushes her and nothing happens and then it just kind of cuts and right. so you're like I, are we assuming she's dead now? Mm. Okay.
0: Yeah. And Which makes
4: later on in the movie also very interesting when we get to that too where I was like "What? what's actually happening right now?
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. And that's I think as we go on I think we'll Maybe be pronounced. It's. It's. I think the strength of the film is the way it can so frequently shift between being really, really, really funny and also really a pretty dark and upsetting, quote unquote, true crime story mm-hmm. kind of thing. There's a lo- incredible amount of violence. It's a very violent movie. Seven people are killed in the movie.
1: But interestingly, like they save the blood mostly for the last, like big, like <laughs> holy shit, <laughs> scene. Really and even do. that it isn't like <sighs> the
4: focus. Of a lot of the shots and things like that Which I think is kind of interesting Because like it is like A a gory movie But not in a way that like A lot of other movies that I watch are gory Mm -hmm. Where it's like very full frontal Like it is kind of like off to the side A lot it seems like Which is kind of interesting
0: Or it's like incidental violence yeah. Yeah. And they cut and
4: don't show you certain things But then show you other things That are pretty brutal And it's interesting how they choose to do that too
2: Mm-hmm. yeah the editing of the whole film is like absolutely mm. fantastic with like the comedic beats mm-hmm. perfectly mm-hmm.
0: and they executed. edited it themselves as well oh okay cool also another thing that i meant to point out before as uh steve Buscemi and peter stormare are driving in the car steve Buscemi is obviously this loud mouth character peter stormare is like a locked box and barely speaking ever um which creates some tension between them that's really interesting but one of the lines that peter stormare has one of the few he has in the entire film is um we go to pancake's house um,
4: <laughs> I, I wrote that down. I loved that <laughs> line so much.
0: And when he when they went to do the first take for the film, um, Stormer had read the script and, and he went to do the shot and just of course said, "We go to Pancake House." And Ethan Cohen headphones you know on the side of the set just sort of like stopped everything dead and was like, "Well, whoa, oh whoa, 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 no no no, what, what what did you say there? It's Pancakes House." And Stormer was like, "Oh, I, I I'm sorry, I just figured it was a typo." And the the Cohen's cold response was. There are no typos in our scripts.
3: Damn. Whoa. Damn.
0: <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> Which but that does the, make
4: such a great, like, that is such right. an important
0: <laughs> difference. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, like, also with all the stammering William H. Macy does throughout the film, that yeah. was phonetically written into the script. What? Mm-hmm. Like, almost, almost every stammer, every ya, uh, all of it was written into the script to represent so it phonetically. Um, yeah. Which, which really I think helped with the film, as well as the work of um, uh, Liz Himmelstein, who was the uh, the dialect coach, mm. and also um, one of the two girls that we'll meet later in the film, or, or, or a little earlier. She's one of the uh, the women that um, that Buscemi and Stormare sleep with, which is also another great shot I think, because like we see the two of them in the hotel, and they're it's you know the four of them they're <laughs> having sex in the separate beds, yep. uh, and then it kind of fades out, and then it just cuts a hard cut right to. Them all just sort of like really banal, sitting in bed just watching the Tonight Show. Yeah, just, 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 like they just
4: chilled out, like a very
0: yeah. un like un, an entirely unromantic post-coital like posture, just like propped up against uh-huh. bed watching TV. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> really great, really great little bit there too.
4: Which you get a lot of those sh- those shots too with also Frances McDermott and her husband just kind of sitting in bed watching TV so that's also kind of mm-hmm. interesting that you have these two like yeah it like but like that one is like obviously very different than you know it's like much colder than this very sweet and one of yeah like one of the best like little romances I've seen in a movie uh-huh. it's adorable um, yeah they're it's so, so adorable they're so good well just the fact that like she's like oh it's early I have to go to work and he's like no I'm gonna go get up and get make you eggs and like. That, that's such, like, a small little gesture that's so beautiful, and yeah.
0: And then after she steps outside, he's sitting there just eating the eggs, presumably mm-hmm. just going to go about his day, and she walks back in and says, "Hun, Prowler needs a jump, because the car <laughs> won't start.
4: So cute.
0: Um, just before we meet the two of them, um, Peter Stormare and, um, Steve Buscemi, their two characters, Carl and Gare, are driving Jean, um, uh, to a cabins, uh, but they're stopped midway by the police because they've got dealer tags, um... In this uh, confrontation, Buscemi tries to bribe this police officer, but the police officer doesn't have it and asks him to step out of the car. At which point, Stormer shoots him in the head um, right into Steve Buscemi's lap.
5: That spurt of blood was... Yeah. Was rough.
0: As Buscemi put it, whoa, daddy. <laughs> 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 it's pretty rough.
1: Yeah. Maybe an appropriate use of the word daddy. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe.
0: <laughs> and then... As he's clearing Buscemi, the body off the road, uh, another a car, a series of people come by, two bystanders, two people in a car. Um, and as they pass them, they obviously see what's going on, and they start flooring it. Uh, Peter Stormare abandons Bissemi and the dead officer to go chase after them. Uh, and I really love that shot.
3: Mm, yeah. When you see
0: Stormare just sort of staring straight ahead, he, without like looking away from the road, just lifts the cigarette right out the window and grabs the wheel. And he's got this like singular—it's it, the character in a whole. is singular focus. It almost looks like watching like safari footage of like a lion mm. hunting something.
1: Yeah. yeah, like
5: zoning in on the the tail lights of that car, being like, "This is my prey. I, I must continue." Like the complete opposite yeah. of like <laughs> shaky, nervous William H Macy, even shaky, nervous Steve Buscemi Who breaks once in a while. Yeah. yeah. Mm.
0: Yeah, just that real driving. See, that road
5: scene is so scary. When Sam you pointed out like already driving on a road at night with snow, with no street lights, and mm-hmm. then this pers- pursuit, mm-hmm. you're like, this can only go one way. This yeah. is really
1: intense. Yeah, when they flip off the road, mm-hmm. you're like, oof. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and all you see is just the taillights go out in the front car. Mm-hmm. And then the guy driving's like, what is what is happening? And yeah, and then, the
4: fact that he couldn't even like notice that the person in front of him had an accident until he was right there is also insane. Yeah.
0: And then also, um, yeah, right after that, I mean, it's a pretty harsh cut. He, um, he, he finds the, uh, turned over car. He, uh, shoots one of the passengers as they're trying to make a break for it into the snow. Mm. Um, and then, um, walks back to the car and finds the other person like basically stuck inside Mm. the car and injured. And oh, there's this yeah. really grim moment of just like uh, the two of them locking eyes in this connection, wordless connection mm. of just like, uh, it's really cold. And then he just pulls, pulls back and fires into the car and then the hard cut mm. very punctuated.
5: Yes. And then is the next scene when we first meet Francis McDormand? Mm-hmm. And
0: then that's, yeah, the, like I said before, the film has to, uh, has to show you the cold before it brings you to the warm. I thought that mm. was,
5: yeah, it would, that was such a good comment where you meet the <laughs> yeah. whole sort of on one side the cast of characters mm-hmm. that is going to be carrying or sort of emblematic the of the worst like, combination evil. of villains working together. <laughs> Honestly, <laughs> and then yeah. I loved the scene that, so the, for the way that you see Francis and her husband for like sleeping in bed together, it first cuts to the mallard ducks and this beautifully lit scene. It looks like a, like mm-hmm. a, like a still life, like a, like a, <laughs> yeah or a Rembrandt or something like the lighting is so beautiful and this beautiful like music is playing and um, it's totally a scene of warmth and you see the paint brushes and the 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 duck, the duck and the paint, the wet paint and everything and then it pans to them in bed mm-hmm. you're like yes this is a cold to warm beautiful <laughs> scene transition mm-hmm. yeah
0: and i unfortunately i can't recall the actor who plays norm um, he's in so many things though he is um, but is he, he in, and uh, like
5: uh, the Anchorman and all those movies
0: That's, no, that's a different guy yeah no he oh, was shit. in like Zodiac I, yeah. and was in a couple other movies. <laughs> oh well. very right, he yeah,
5: was in Zodiac. That's exactly what Carrey I was
0: picturing show. him
1: in. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about
0: Drew Carrie. Drew Carey Show, yeah. yeah. Um but he and uh he and Francis McDormand worked on a character backstory that wasn't in the script, mm-hmm. um, which is basically that both she and Norm were police. They met on the force. Um and at a certain point, um, they decided that uh, they didn't necessarily need to be on the force together and that Norm also had this passion for painting. He really wanted Mm -hmm. to express himself in that way, especially through these, like, Mm -hmm. Kincaid-esque, like, just sort of, like, very scenic little, like, paintings. Um, So Frances McDormand, who was at the time the better police officer, decided that she would take the helm as a cop Mm -hmm. and he would stay at home and would do his paintings but would also support her in things like making her eggs, or jumping her car at five in the morning, things like bringing that. Her Arby's. Bringing her Arby's. Which
4: also makes a lot of sense. Like, I just assumed that, like, everyone knew them as a couple because they live in, like, a small town. But, like, mm-hmm. all of those cops ask about Norm and, like, talk about him pretty frequently, so that makes total sense that he was, yeah. like, a former cop. And that's, like, a very nice little detail.
2: Uh, his name is John Carroll Lynch. That's it. Oh, that's right. And this was, I guess, his jumping. His jump,
0: jumping off point. His, his launch pad. Mm-hmm. His wow. launch pad.
4: He brings her lunch later to the Arby. Arby's. He brings yes. her Arby's, yeah. Bring me Arby's. That's, yeah. As, the Honestly, as soon as he just offers to get out of bed very early with her, even though he doesn't have to, to get up and make her eggs, I was like, hell yeah, this is the best relationship yeah. ever. I don't need to see anything else. <laughs> it's so good.
0: They're so sweet.
4: Yeah, it was great.
2: Well, and even kind of fast forward to the end of the movie when she returns home. After all of this. Oh, she's so
4: excited for him. After, like, the case
2: of a lifetime. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Where, um, just murder and blood everywhere. Is She asked him how this painting competition went to get mm-hmm. on stamps.
4: Yeah.
0: I got the three cent.
4: <laughs> I know, and he's really disappointed, and she totally, like, brings him back up. Like, no, that's great. Like, I'm so proud of you. And, yeah. People
0: need the smaller stamps mm-hmm. for when they're left with a bunch of the old ones. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Norm, we're doing pretty good. I love it. Teary eyed at the end of that movie almost every time. Um, But before before we get there, also, um, what's happening now is that Carl and Gare, um, and Stormare, have gotten Jean to the cabin. Um, There's a pretty brutal scene where they let her out of the car and she's, you know, she's got the hood over her head. She's not wearing shoes. She's basically in pajamas and she's just sort of stumble like stumbling and walking through the snow with no idea where she is. And the two of them are just sort of standing... Well, Bissemi's cracking up, and you can see Stormer almost kind of break a little bit, almost mm. a smile. And it's, again, that weird and tenuous balance that they maintain throughout the entire film between hilarity and horror, where it's a brutal scene that is objectively not funny, but also Bissemi's laughter is a little contagious.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: It's r- yeah. really and the way bizarre... it is filmed
4: is, like, it is very comical. Yeah. The way she is, like, stumbling and running... But at the same time, I was like, damn, they just like kind of introduce her as this like very simple housewife. And like she fights from the very beginning and continues to fight later on after all of the stuff, which I thought was very impressive.
0: Yeah. Although we actually one thing that's uh, kind of noted about the film is that we don't hear her speak after she's kidnapped ever again.
4: Yeah. Yeah, She like whimpers and stuff. She just sort of
0: becomes, yeah, sort of like a mute plot device in a way.
4: It's yeah, it's kind of odd.
0: Which... I don't know. I don't know what else you would have gotten from the character within the context of the story. I don't know if it would have really added mm-hmm. anything necessarily. But, um, but at any rate, yeah, they get her to the cabin, and then um, that's when we learn that um, that Marge has been working the case. She's found out uh, a lot of details that are kind of uh, bringing her closer and closer to uh, to figuring out exactly what's going on. At this point back home, uh, Carl has uh, has to deal with Wade stepping in, Um, Gene's father And uh, his father-in-law Who insists that he be a part of it And Stan Grossman Who I love Stan Grossman's a great Secondary character Everyone
4: is Like everyone Just establishes him As a reliable guy Like (laughs) if Stan Grossman (laughs) Says it's good It's good You want him in your corner I also thought it was interesting that the kid is the only one that shows very genuine stress over yep. the fact that his mother has been kidnapped and is very visibly upset yeah. while, like, yeah. everyone else is just very focused on, like, the money and how the situation is yeah. going down. Yeah, her
1: father's, like, posturing, like, it's my money, it's yeah. my daughter, it I'll does, take care of And it of does
4: show a little bit more, like like distress, it seems like over her being kidnapped like he definitely in his own way cares about her and is like plans on killing like the dude who is like you know yeah coming to get the ransom but like not in like a healthy way in in any sort of you know way like that but yeah the kid is the only one who is having like a very legitimate reaction (laughs) to what is going down meanwhile
5: oh go ahead no you go or just the fact that William H Macy has to rehearse sounding upset. And, yeah, um, I know. There's that yeah scene where you like the phone is still, off. like mm-hmm. he hasn't picked up the phone and he's rehearsing, oh, like who is just like what's the dad's name, Norm? Wh- wait. Oh, wait, Jerry.
0: When, yeah. Jerry but what, he's calling. He's calling a police officer. I forget what that guy's name is. But so and so, it's it, it, it's Jerry. I'm uh, I'm worried about Gene. Um, and he stops. He's like, no. I, I'm I'm so worried I'm so worried about Gene mm-hmm. and you see him practicing it with different inflections. Should he say wife? He's, he's like, oh, geez. geez, things right. are really bad
5: yeah. here. <laughs> and I, before it cuts, to, or like while he's rehearsing, <laughs> there's like static on the TV. And when you all were talking about like p- characters watching TV throughout the movie, it got me kind of thinking about like how t- TV kind of plays a divide. Like there yeah, are static TV Jenny scenes. Yeah, yeah. When he's trying to get the TV mm-hmm. to work, I love and that thinking shot, about that this mm-hmm. this story, and thinking about like true crime characters, and like mm-hmm. how do people watch true crime shows? There's half this fascination with a grim tale. Do you actually care about what mm-hmm. happened to people that are involved in these like mm-hmm. horrific? That's interesting events yeah. and crimes. And then Dave, when you brought up sort of the device that Gene ultimately ends up playing by mm-hmm. the end of the movie being essentially just sort of this prop in the corner who's mm-hmm. alive at one point And then spoiler just dead. dead. We don't even no see her death. Even. No explanation. You just see blood on the oven. That it's sort of this slow sort of, I don't know, desensitized like, way of like viewing her as mm-hmm. just sort of this prop. which is
4: also funny adding to the fact that at the very beginning when they're like this is a true story and it says like something like out of respect for the victims yeah and she does not get much <laughs> respect as a victim <sighs> great like, point you're barely you barely realize she's actually dead at the end of the I movie
1: didn't. <laughs> i didn't either i assumed it was the same thing we're like i don't know she like oh fell is that over. what you were talking about when, you were, when we said, oh, I thought she was dead. No, in when the she begin- fell
0: down the stairs. Right. Again, at this point, Wade has stepped in, and he's, he goes to meet Carl, Steve Buscemi, um, to hand over the money. Um, one thing that's important to note is that, in the, as of the beginning of the film, um, the ransom is different for different people. As far as uh, <laughs> yes. Peter Stormare and uh, Steve Buscemi know, the ransom is uh, 800... $80,000. 80, 80, 80, yeah, $80, Split between um, them. Yeah, so, uh, so 40000 each. Or no! Yeah, sw- no, that's not even the case. It was going to be eighty thousand altogether, um, uh,
4: and they yeah,
0: and they were going to get um, uh, forty thousand that they were going to split down the middle, and then Jerry was going to get the rest of it, and uh, then they
4: demand I'm the full stop. eighty gonna... after they are like we killed people, so we are getting all of this now.
2: And little do they know is that um, William H. Macy asked um, his father in law for one million mm. dollars, yeah, and was only going to give them the eighty thousand dollars and mm-hmm. keep hundreds he's,
5: of thousands he, he tries to do the ponzi scheme fails at that tries to do out scheme the hitmen and like can't pull that off. tries yeah. out smart francis mcdormand
2: fucking yeah, idiot it's like, from the beginning
4: you're like dude you are fucked because you are not good at this no, at he's just such an ass. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. i mean
2: i think the worst scene is when the um father-in-law stan grossman william h macy they're meeting at like a diner to talk about what to do because he doesn't want them going to the police because he's in on this. So he's like, we have to handle it internally. They say if we go to the mm-hmm. police, they're watching us, whatever. And then I think it's Stan Grossman or his father in law go, well, you know, how are you going to talk to your Scotty about this? And he like, doesn't even Scotty think
1: about it. Never yep. once thought about yeah. how a son
2: would like play a factor into mm-hmm. the scheme
0: of his. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And also being able, like so willing to give up your wife like that. Go fuck yourself. Mm-hmm. That's terrible. It's yeah.
0: It's horrible. Yeah. This whole scheme.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Which is why I think in a way the true story framing makes it believable because it's it's one of those things where like it almost does feel stranger than fiction, but it is. Yeah. Um so at this point, um he he meets uh, Jerry's father in law, Gene's father, uh meets Steve Buscemi in the parking lot to exchange this money. Um at this point, Steve Buscemi is fed up and has had enough. Um and uh shoots shoots this father in law. Uh, he goes down and, and uh, defensively shoots Steve Buscemi in the face. Uh, Steve Buscemi, you know, is uh, outraged and shoots him to death there in the parking lot mm. uh, and takes the money. And The realizes... father does
5: do one last attempt. Oh, yeah. The, I liked the last attempt to Which is the craziest
4: mm-hmm. Steve Steve bullet Shemi. wound I
2: think I've ever mm-hmm. seen Just in like a movie. It's like the gash right across the oh, cheek. Oh, it was insane. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like jawline
0: through cheek. like yeah. Yeah. across the Yeah. Yeah, it gets him really good.
2: <laughs> and then like for the rest of the movie Steve Buscemi's hands are just like stained with this blood.
4: Mhm. just like Ooh, yeah. super visual. Mhm. I know cuz there's that part where after this all happens, Steve Buscemi is burying the money and right after
0: when he realizes covered that it's in blood. way more.
4: Yeah, and then He's burying the rest of it to like hide it and come back for it later. And his hands are so red that I was like, I can't even tell if this is blood or it's so cold. And you're trying yeah. to do this with your bare hands that it's just like the freezing cold is turning your skin this color. I was like, whatever's happening is terrible. That's all I know. Yeah,
5: snow and true cri- or like crime mm. stories are I feel like uh, this interesting <laughs> match. It's like. <laughs> You can't get away with a lot in the snow. Mm. Your tracks are in the snow. Your (laughs) blood is in the snow. Like, pretty much the snow, unless it snows again, Mm -hmm. is going to be capturing literally everything. That's interesting, because I was
4: thinking... When they originally went to the crime scene and were finding the bodies and stuff in my head, because you know my you know layman true crime like forensics and knowledge, I was like, I wonder how that affects like them trying to figure out the time of death, because that's based on like body temperature and all of this stuff. So I was like, does it make it harder when it's in the cold? Because you have to factor in more things. But then at the same time, like yeah, you're right. Like so much shows in the in the snow. So and she's even
2: able to tell like. Like, oh, there was a bigger dude and then a smaller dude, right? Who yeah. killed these three people. Mm-hmm.
5: And so, yeah, just watching Steve Buscemi try like, try to bury this money in the snow with the blood hands mm-hmm. and a red
2: ice scraper. <laughs> and the friggin'
5: red ice scraper Then he just then sticks in the snow as a marker, <laughs> being like, I'm gonna come back to this. You're like, a field dude, of there nothing. are, you've just, you're in like a rural highway, there are foot prints that mm-hmm. lead from the road to
1: this bloody pile with a thing sticking in it. Because he looks like,
4: side to side, and it's like perfectly beautiful snow <laughs> that has not been touched. It's, like, yeah, it's this
1: identical is... to where he just
4: buried the uh-huh. This is yeah. well
5: disguised. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> no it's one's It's like when I was a this. child,
4: I buried my Aladdin doll at the beach and then put a <gasps> oh, little no. stick in the sand, and I was like, I'm gonna
1: come back for this later. <gasps> no. I did not find that Aladdin doll. That's so sad. Um... But, so, Steve Buscemi, just to talk about like how great of a performance this was, there's a, a part that I actually commented on while we were watching the film, which was... Um, when he has that bullet wound and he's trying to like mm. stop the mm-hmm. bleeding he like when he peels the old piece of like pa- it looks it's like, like paper yeah. Yeah. yeah, it looks yeah. disgusting he like winces and like that's such great attention to detail cause like yeah, yeah. that would fucking hurt everyone's performance was
4: so oh, good. good in this movie mm-hmm. it was very hard for me to pick like who were my favorites cause like Everyone was so great. As sleazy as William H. Macy is, I'm like he's doing he's so this good. like weird sleazy but trying to be like a nice guy thing at the same time. That's like very interesting and Francis McDormand was great. What's it? Peter Stormare. Is that Peter what Peter Stormare, name? yeah. Yeah, like he, I thought, was really amazing right off the bat. We were making um, lots of
2: comparisons to him and Ryan Gosling in Drive.
4: Yes, mm-hmm. Ryan Gosling was hardcore inspired by this dude. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Gosling, please tell us um, when you eventually listen to this podcast because it is the best.
0: Number listening- one in the world. Yeah, number Thanks, one. Dad. Yeah,
4: so you should be listening to this right now. But tell
0: us. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? Real quick before we wrap up uh, the plot – uh, a little bit of thought about the snow now that we're talking about the snowy landscape. I mean, yes. it's pretty much presented as, at times, like a horizonless void of white. Mm-hmm. Like, like, it, it really feels like a flatness.
5: Where the, the credits are, or like the first credits. When he's
0: first coming with a car, yeah. And
5: just the whole white out And then slowly things come into focus as you see the road. That was a cool shot.
0: Mm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and it's just so interesting, too, because, you know, being someone who's from a state that gets snow, but not all the time, and Mm. not as intensely Mm -hmm. as Minnesota, like... You, you hear about the seasonal depression and, like, that's immediately what I started thinking about. Like, oh, shit, I feel, like, I'll, already really gloomy and what, whatever. And then you have um, Frances McDormand, who is just so happy and chipper. <laughs> and you're like, this this creates such, like, a, an awesome juxtaposition. Mm. So, like, I appreciated that a when lot. When she
4: shows up at the crime scene, she's like, where is everyone? He's like, oh, well, Margie, oh, you know it's cold. It's cold, cold. Margie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, well... Uh, one thing the, that I think we've been talking about a lot this month and um, in, in uh, December is whether or not the snow is real.
4: Very important question the that most. was raised by um, Christine at the beginning of this month.
0: Mm-hmm. This, Big questions. The time of filming this, uh, I think it was, It mu- I think it must have been before, probably the winter of 1995, I believe it was, because the film was released in 96. Um, but they did want to try to film it in the winter, you know, for the snowscape. Uh, it was the second warmest winter on record in the state the year they filmed it.
5: So, they, did they film it in North Dakota? Uh,
0: they filmed uh,
5: or in Minnesota?
0: Uh, they filmed parts of it elsewhere. They filmed a lot of it elsewhere in Canada and other places. But the places where they did film um, in Minnesota, they are uh, yeah, in Minnesota, they needed to use um, these machines that basically took uh, ice or um, large blocks of ice and just like crushed it up to create the effect mm. of snow.
1: That explains the roads. I kept mm-hmm. thinking about, wow, the roads are really clean. Mm. <laughs> They're not
4: snowy at all. Great salt. Because <laughs> what was the other movie that it was garbage snow that they were using? Uh, snow, snow Day Day. Yeah, yeah. The there we go. Garbage oh, yeah. snow. <laughs> this weird, made recycled snow. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh, snow yeah.
2: Day. Mm-mm. That's my favorite fact about that movie. <laughs>
5: <That's> garbage snow. <laughs> and there are a lot of scenes of eating that snow. Nobody ate the snow in Fargo. But... Steve Buscemi did put that. it on his face. Oh, you're right. So mm, mm. let's hope those ice blocks were sanitary.
0: So then Steve Buscemi, his he arrives back really at, the, uh, at the cabin. I'm oh, sorry, go ahead.
1: I'm sorry. <laughs> I was just like, his face wasn't really cut. <laughs> when she said the ice blocks be sanitary, whatever. Oh, it's, it's definitely not a big deal. <laughs> oh, right. I've
5: I've merged reality <laughs> with the movie
4: because we can't figure out the characters' names. Then we're going. back. Sorry, I'm it's sorry, all, Dave.
5: It's it's you know like a like a true crime show. It some's based in fiction and some's based in reality. Right. True, I don't know. You're right. Sorry, go ahead, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: okay. So we round the film out uh, just to wrap this up. Uh-huh. Um, they it, Steve and comes back to the cabin. Uh, he's got the money so as to maintain the illusion that they're now taking the entire eight. Uh, 80,000, um, and they're going to split it right down the middle. Um, they get into sort of an argument, as much as they can, since Peter Stormer's character basically doesn't speak. But Buscemi, uh gets into an argument about how they're going to split the car, storms out of the house, and is apparently going to take off with the vehicle um, and return to grab the money out of the field. Um, but just as he's walking to the car, Peter Stormer bursts out of the house and mows him down with an axe.
5: That's an interesting mm. scene mm-hmm. where you, do, you think that the scene has has sort of de-escalated, the, like mm-hmm. Steve Buscemi's mm-hmm. yelling, 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 is like, all right, fuck this, I'm leaving, and then the other guy's just staring at the TV, and you're like, okay, situation resolved, mm-hmm. and then you just see Steve Buscemi walking, and then in the distance, the guy just coming out of the cabin with a, mm-hmm. like, a shovel mm-hmm. or something. It's a huge axe, like a hoe it's a really or big something. axe. Oh, it's an yeah. axe, yeah, and then it just, like, whacks him, but you don't even see anything, it yeah, just Yeah, and then it cuts, yeah. Mm.
0: And just before it cuts, when Steve Buscemi turns around, because, like, there's that snap moment where, like, he's walking away and just sort of, like, um, disgusted with the situation. And as he hears the door open and we see that he's running at him with the axe, he just turns around really slowly, uh, almost as if, like, uh, where are we going with this?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And
0: then yeah. as soon as he's fully dead. turned, is oh, God! And then sliced,
2: and then it's over. They don't even talk about that Jean's dead, I don't think.
4: No, they, Th- they don't of, like, even say the words. They just say, like...
0: What happened to her? Yeah. Oh, she wouldn't stop shrieking. Yeah that's, yeah,
4: that's all. Yeah, that's all he says, and you're just like, oh, oh okay.
0: <laughs> and she's yeah, she's dead yeah. on the ground, oven covered in blood. Um, from there, uh, we see uh Marge driving around the lake because of a tip off uh, about a loudmouth via a local bar, which turns out to be also that, first that dude standing.
4: that gives them the oh, information. that's a, that's a wonderful is incredible. Scene too. Yeah, when he just goes, what does he say? I wrote down, and he goes, end a story. After repeating the same thing over and over again.
0: She like, basically told me to call it in, so I called it in. End a story. <laughs> <laughs> Almost as though it's a joke. Like, it feels like a punchline.
4: And they're like, and then he called me a jerk, but he didn't call me a jerk.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and then they just talk about the weather, the policeman that's it's talking so to him. It's so good.
5: Yeah. Everything about that is amazing. It's so lonely up there at Moose Lake.
0: Which I guess is also uh, somebody pointed out online, like they thought about like how that could probably be an affect of like their two characters where Steve Buscemi is out there with someone who won't talk the whole time and is probably like kind of weighing on him and driving him nuts. Um, But that ultimately leads uh, Marge to uh, Moose Lake, where right off of Moose Lake, she recognizes the tan Sierra that uh, was traded to them by Jerry uh, as part of the kidnapping. Um, And she approaches the house. Um, As she comes around The back of the house We hear uh, a sort of Grinding noise And then we get A pretty famous scene um, In cinematic history is the American cinematic history Of the 90s As they, she rounds the corner And finds Peter Stormare's Character Grinding up What, it, what remains Of Steve Buscemi's mm-hmm. Dead body In a large wood chipper
3: mm-hmm.
2: Which also is Played for laughs A little bit Because his you see he's his like, like Legs sticking out And
1: he's like- Pushing it down, With it was like jiggling a little. Yeah. And... Wait, that also white sock just coming out. Yeah. Oof. and when and when he throws the bit of log that he's using to like jam the leg down mm-hmm. at Francis McDormand, and she just ducks like. You know, so it's like he kind of knows there's not much he can do in that situation. And like he has a very weird, slow reaction to it. And he's like, well, this is all I can do is like throw a thing. Yeah. I mean, it was funny, but I had this moment of being like, whoa, she's a pregnant woman who's going into this nightmare Absolutely. hellscape. Yeah. And then just like shoots him like a yeah. badass.
5: Yeah, from yeah. across
0: from a good distance across the lake, shoots him in the leg and brings him down, and then apprehends him.
5: Mm-hmm. That was a great the distant shot. Very good. Uh, yeah. and that you see her, and then you see the guy, and it's like the meeting of the two opposite mm-hmm. characters. Like ultimately in this, conclu- it's very epic, and there's like super epic music playing. The
0: theme swells. Yeah. The
5: whole soundtrack is is awesome. Mm. There's this very sort of like. There's some, like, lute. Not, there. there no a lute. But, like, it's very sort of, like, <laughs> nice stringy music. There's, like, some Western-feeling music. And then there's some, like, fucking epic, like, like this is the battling of the gods kind of <laughs> m- music. And I looked up the guy, Carter Burwell. He's, like, done the soundtracks for, like, all the Coen Brothers movies, mm. which, yeah, is, like, really cool. Anyhow, that was a side note. But nice. epic distance scene. Well, yes. and I
2: love how that's a callback to when... um. He is shooting the people mm-hmm. um, at the beginning of the movie who see, see Bashemi trying to carry off the dead. Yeah, say yeah, trooper yeah. chase him down. So, but he shoots to kill when she mm-hmm. shot him in the leg. So I thought that was like a good once mm-hmm. again, back to our discussion yeah, of like good true. versus evil of like yeah. he shoots to kill, she shoots to like apprehend the stuff. Which is how
4: we wish a lot of police officers would react. Yeah. Right. Oh man, if Ooh. only. Mm. Um, but, and then the ending has this very like simplistic, just her being like, like looking at all of this crazy shit that she has just explored and been like, this was all for money. And, and that was it, which I thought was so interesting, like such an interesting way to start like wrapping up the movie, just like in a very simple way like that.
0: It was all of this for a little bit of money. And now you're here and it's a beautiful day. I'll never understand it.
3: Yeah. Mm. Mm hmm.
2: That also just kind of makes me think just of don't like, understand it rather. Like, our, our obsession with like true crime, I think kind of ties into that as well. As like, I just, all this carnage, all this is like, I don't understand it. Mm-hmm. Of like our obsession with like the macabre.
5: Well, it's, yeah, I, the scene <laughs> where Steve Michemi is opening the case with all like a million bucks in it, and he's just sort of like, haphazard or like just carelessly throwing the money in the back seat and you're like this is exactly what it came to. like this was <laughs> all, what all of this convoluted plot and scheming was for and he's just sort of like with his bloody hands just sort of rifling through the money and tossing it yeah. this around it's mm-hmm. all very casual and you're like nothing was casual about this entire story hmm. mm-hmm.
2: It kind of reminds me of that scene from uh, Parks and Rec where Andy and April go to the bank because Andy's always wanted to hold, like, like $1,000 <laughs> or something, but it's just, like, $1,000 bills. It's like, this isn't really a lot. Give it to me, like, pennies. It just made me feel that. Like, it's just a case of, like, things. Mm-hmm. Like, all of this, and it's just
0: paper.
4: Yeah, like, yeah, it's a, It's not even, like, a, he's excited that there's all of this money. It's just, like... Uh. Well, he does
0: kind of say to himself, Jesus Christ, and realizing, like, you know, uh, that this is... Well out of the proportion of what the arrangement was and so on, but...
5: Because that's his realization that yeah. William H. Macy, like, asked for the... I guess that's when he realized, like, he asked for the million dollars right. as opposed to just the the 80000 I guess it was quick thinking on his feet. Yeah. but
0: And William H. Macy's character is uh, ultimately brought to justice. He's apprehended uh, shortly thereafter in a North Dakota uh, hotel... Well, and he I, uh, does try police. to climb
5: out the rear window he in the, the bathroom. was yeah,
0: oh, it it such a
4: pathetic, like, whiny just, little escape and just attempt. Writhing like, nah, and bitch, yeah, you're caught. Not wearing
0: pants. Mm-hmm. Just a, an appropriately, like, uh, humiliating end for a, a despicable character.
1: But also, like, what's what happened to the son? I don't
0: know. He's that basically is basically an orphan. That's the true tragedy of this movie yeah. in the end. Yeah, no right. grandfather. Two, just much like,
5: much like characters: his father, the mother a lot of and the son. Of the
4: son in yeah. this, you know, it seems like it's just not accordion a
2: loving, hockey loving son. <laughs> oh. What
4: an odd child! That's look good on so well rounded. So well rounded. Yes. <laughs> All he wants to do is go to the McDonald's and hang out with his friends. Um, you know what they
1: do at the McDonald's? They're not. I don't Drinkings. know, my friends and but you used to out in the parking lot at a
4: McDonald's. <laughs> did you just drink milkshakes? Um, no, we just hung out in the parking lot at <laughs> the McDonald's because it was a 24 hour one. So, yeah.
0: <laughs> well that that in essence is uh is the film as far as the plot goes and everything. Um it was uh, as I mentioned before, and uh as I oh, wanted yeah, to bring Dave, up
5: Did Fargo win the best picture Oscar? Did, did it? <laughs>
0: So he's nominated for best picture, shoulder to shoulder with some other films. Um, I believe Jerry Maguire may have been in the running. I know Tom Cruise won best actor that year. So uh, interesting
4: to figure out like what movies were all like, you know, contenders. Yeah.
0: Oh, and um, yeah, and actually, if you want a pretty interesting insight into uh, that and the uh, the Academy's process and what wins over other films, uh, there's a pretty good podcast uh, that I guess I'll give a shout out to. It's called, um, and the runner up is. Um, which explores films that lost out an Oscar to Mm. other films. Oh, cool. Um, which they did an episode with this and they (laughs) get into it a bit. Um, it lost to the English patient. Uh, the English patient was nominated for, uh, quite a few Oscars. Uh, Fargo was nominated for seven, um, which at the time for an independent film was quite a bit and really kind of brought a pretty serious, brought it as a pretty serious contender to the table. Uh,
2: Mm -hmm. the English
0: patient on the other hand, um, was kind of sweeping, um, nominations. It won the golden globe that year and uh, had a lot of other nominations in the sense that it had like it was a period piece. So it had a lot of costume design nominations, a lot of cinematography nominations and like other categories that sort of further advanced it. It was also really championed by uh, Miramax. Uh, this was sort of um, within as uh, as that other podcast points out the sort of the rise of uh, 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 Harvey Weinstein. Mm-hmm. Um, They're real like real revving up of like. Big budget Oscar bait sort of films through Miramax and the company, and ultimately it uh, it beat out Fargo uh, and won, I believe, nine Academy Awards, making it uh, one of the most uh, awarded and most championed films within the Academy's history. I've never, yet, I've never even heard of this movie. Forgettable. Yeah, I've, never <laughs> I've never heard of it in my life.
4: Really. Hmm. All
0: of this never. to say, I hate the English patients. <laughs> <laughs> Not just because of the Fargo situation. That That's part of it. But this well, movie sucks. Is it the sucks. cave? <laughs> this is a movie that like Seinfeld did a great bit with this. Oh. Where Elaine, Elaine hated the movie when it came out. And oh, and
4: everyone else loved it? Everyone loved yeah, it. I remember this And like episode. she was being
0: insulted for like going to see like Sack Lunch or something. Which <laughs> yeah, looked like a better movie because she's like looking at the picture and was like, how did they all get in there? Because um, they're in a brown <laughs> bag on the poster, yeah. but at any rate, she's in the film uh, finally with her boss and has been quartered into watching it, and he adores it because he's this really pompous like magazine editor, uh, P- J. Peterman. Uh,
2: what a, Peterman's the he
0: best.
4: Did, he was so good at, at <laughs> that role. And
0: he's wonderful. And as they're watching the movie, finally Elaine breaks down um, and starts complaining, and he turns to her and is just sort of like, Elaine, you don't like the English patient? She just shouts, I hate it. <laughs> she goes, Oh, Elaine, I had no idea. Clear out your desk You're fired And she just says Immediately in response To that she says, Great uh, I'll, gra- I'll grab it by Monday And just immediately Storms out Because she just wants To be away From the English patient
4: <laughs> Which is- because I think about this a lot, too. Like, I had a conversation with an Uber driver um, after I had just seen Venom. And I think it was in the same week I had seen First Man with Ryan Gosling uh, and -hmm. then seen Venom later on in the week. And I was like, First Man is great. Um, Ryan Gosling's performance is amazing. Um, I think it's very forgettable and I don't think I need to see it more than once. (laughs) But venom was like not a good movie but i was like i would probably watch venom like a couple more times and like be (laughs) that would be fun and that's not a forgettable movie so it was like yeah like it's good and it's like you know i it's like gonna be nominated for things and probably win some shit and everything (laughs) but it's like what does that actually like matter or mean um when things like Sack Lunch are funner, obviously. I would rather see. see Sack Lunch I than would, English Patient any day. I would, would day. love to see Sack Lunch. <laughs> Rochelle Rochelle,
0: uh, Death Blow. I would rather see any of the fictional Seinfeld shows than Some English I Patient any day. posters
4: for all of those movies <laughs> oh, they're great. online years ago. It was so funny. Yeah.
0: Um. So one last note before I want to leave it open to you guys to uh, to give your final thoughts. Um, a little bit of closure there. As we talked about at the beginning of the episode, it was based it was supposedly based on a true story. And there was a p- supposed rumor that a woman believed it um, and went out searching for uh, Steve Buscemi's buried, uh, buried fortune uh, and froze to death in the uh, Minnesota landscape.
5: Looking for that ice scraper.
0: That story is not true. Uh, the story is uh, the story of a woman uh, named... Uh, Takako Okunushi, um, who was a woman from Japan, um, who actually came to the United States uh, with the intention of killing herself. Um, it was like sort of a, a series of failed relationships hmm. and uh, and a job hmm. and this and that. And she came to the United States, and she went to uh, Minnesota and froze to death, um, sort of electing to die that way uh, in, the, in the frozen landscape that's represented in Fargo. A lot of people were quick to jump on this because of the proximity to the uh, – To the uh, place where the film supposedly occurs and piling on the notion that it was falsely advertised as a true story Mm. so that um, it kind of put the Coens in a position where it suggested that they were responsible for or at least indirectly responsible for the death of a person Mm. who foolishly sought um, a a fortune on the pretense that the film that they made was true. But. That story itself, again, and that uh, that inclination, that association, is untrue. Well, uh, it was an unrelated suicide.
5: But it's so. But th- I feel like that's so reflective of like how people's minds work. Like certainly, this woman had a lot of complex stuff going on in her life, mm-hmm. and sure. that is what happened. But mm-hmm. yet, the desire to attach some sensational story to it, some fictionalized sensational story is a better story. It's like, that's kind of like the human desire, the fucked up human desire to, to like create, attach Mm -hmm. fiction to something that is like extremely complex, nuanced and like, Unrelated, but well when
4: I was a kid, I remember in middle school, there was a rumor, and who knows if this was true or not, that a little kid drowned himself like in the ocean accidentally because he was looking for bikini bottom. And oh, I was no. like, no. I
3: remember something hearing Paris this as a young with.
4: kid and it has stuck with me for forever, but I was <laughs> like, was that just like another one of those weird things that they decided to like blame a death on like this very silly TV show? Who knows?
0: Mm. People are Jeez. weird. Yeah. Well, does anybody have any kind of final thoughts on Fargo as we kind of round out the episode here?
4: What was the quote from um, uh, the. Uh, crap, who were they? I'm forgetting all the names of the things. You, Ebert? You, Ebert? Yeah, yeah. Ebert's quote that you mentioned. Oh, that's I feel like right. that was really good, and I really
5: loved that a lot.
0: Yeah, so the film is really, really accredited. It, um, you know, obviously, again, was. It just nominated didn't win Best Picture. Uh, no, it didn't. It didn't have patient. caves,
5: sand, billowy, sexy linen sheets, possibly bl- blowing sex in the wind in a cave, possibly sex in a cave, or Ray Finds. and the so, surrounding
0: three hours of nothing
5: and um, a plane crash and long <laughs> yeah, distance love. Yeah, this
4: was a love. tight hour and a half movie, which I love. God,
0: God bless. Mm. Um. Oh, but yeah. I'm sorry. What were we? Uh,
4: the quote. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, that's <laughs> right,
0: yeah. So um, My totally hatred lost. of the English patient can override most conversation. Um, no, it was, uh, it was a quote from Siskel and Ebert. I mean, um, yeah, again, it was really accredited, and they, they gave it a lot of accolades. They thought it was one of the best films of the year, and they put it on many lists that they would write of about American cinema and just cinema in general. Um, and just midway through the first time they were watching a screening, reportedly um, Siskel turned to Ebert midway through the film, probably about halfway through, and just kind of whispered in his ear, uh, but audibly enough that another person heard it, I guess. Whisper sweet um, nothings. <laughs> just whispered. It uh, was a... <laughs> come here.
2: Come here, Ross. Oh, my God.
0: They said of the movie, um, or at least uh, Siskel said to Ebert, this is why we love movies. And these are like two of the – among the most respected American uh, cinema critics um, within the history of American film. Um, so that that quote kind of uh, kind of weighs heavy, I think, as, uh, as a statement about – the qualitative uh, features of the film, um, just how well it's, how well it's shot, the the story that it explores, the network of uniquely interesting characters that it weaves, um, none of whom, despite being evil, are necessarily unlikable. Um, or at least that's my takeaway. So, um, so, yeah, I, I know that they really revered the film and uh, I uh, I tend to agree.
4: And it's and it was like a nice thing to hear, too, like, you know hearing like a different voice like not like this big budget movie that came out that was like the mm-hmm. thing that made them remember it was like just one of these movies that was really well done and well written and well acted and that's you know that good reminder of like why we we watch movies and why we talk about movies
5: yeah you're tootin <laughs>
2: <laughs> is not the ones he says you're like you're, tootin'. you're darn tootin you're darn tootin <laughs> When he's going to do like, the car check to see if like there's no car missing. You darn tooting! I'm going
0: to do it. Ah, uh, what the Christ. What the
1: Christ. There's such a difference between you're tootin' and you're darn tootin'. You're darn <laughs> d- oh, that difference. Difference? <laughs> I what
0: you're going
2: for there. You it really percent. mean business when you throw in that darn. You're darn tootin'. You're tootin'.
1: Yeah, there's... there's. <laughs>
0: yeah, I feel like that darn's necessary. Yeah.
1: Good to know. Um, Can I say something, like, final word on mm. this, which is... Um, I I was excited to watch a movie that you liked so much, but I also was like dreading it a little bit because um, typically when movies are like so high regarded like this, I I'm just so bored and I'm like, oh god, this sucks so much. I just don't like like them. I liked this. I'm pleasantly surprised. So thanks, Dave. Nice, Next Citizen Kane. Ugh. It's
2: it's All a little the room trashing scene.
4: It's just like one of those things where like, this is the best movie in the world, and then you watch it, and I was like, okay. This sucks. I get I get the reasoning and the little bits here and there, like those things that are really good, but
1: like, eh.
5: But Rosebud, am I right?
1: Here's the thing. Just because it's the <laughs> I wish first. I all see Christine's face. Just because it's the first doesn't mean it's the best. Exactly. <laughs> That's all I have to say.
4: Again, I'll probably watch Venom
1: more times than i watch watched <laughs> Citizen Kane.
4: <since
2: the game. laughs> Butter with that, everybody.
5: <laughs> uh, yeah. I'll say if you want to watch any more sad sack, William H. Macy, uh, character roles, Magnolia and Boogie Nights. He plays a really sad cameraman on Boogie Nights. And he oh. plays a really he's sad. Always sad. He's always sad. He's <laughs> always you know, sad, I know. But two movies I recently watched, and he
1: plays the same character. Jurassic Park 3. Is he has yeah. a good time in Is the Wild he sad? Hogs? <laughs>
0: But that
5: movie is. Really oh, that. shit. Oh. Wild hogs. Oh, Should I. Sh- Maybe we I should, should end. Avoid. We should just stop. Happy Little Who
4: in The Grinch.
2: Uh, yeah. Should just stop overhead. <laughs>
4: yeah, it's right.
5: those, those eyes, those sad eyes.
1: Mm. Well, we'll <laughs> William H. Macy, if you're listening, pick better roles. Yeah. No, no, I or, love no, you. No, I, yeah,
5: just if you're up. listening, <laughs> I love you, and you're a great Let's actor. Pick different roles.
1: But, like, we just wish you looked
5: happier sometimes. Maybe. I don't know. An Has anyone watched, um, what's that? What's his show, Shameless?
0: Oh, Shameless show. Is it good? Really, yeah. Everyone
5: tells me it's
4: great. I just don't know I if don't I'm interested. Care. I would yeah. guess.
0: That's pretty good.
5: Whoa. I'm so sorry. This is tangential. We can end the thing. <laughs> well, now you gotta share. Google listened to our conversation. I did no! not type this in. Get I did not type this in. What does it say? What does it say? I can't read it. It says 22 Jump Street. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, not
2: another
4: movie
5: that I will Google. watch more times is so than I watch Citizen Kane. Is that your rating system? The past,
2: will I watch it more or the, less times than Citizen Kane? For the past
5: Game? four yeah. days, my phone has been giving me alerts in the morning that says, uh, ask me, a, or like, t- tell Google, tell me a joke. Tell Google, what's my day look like? Tell Google, <laughs> no. what does the traffic look like? And I swipe, I say, no, go away, and it fucking. It sounds like you have a stalker. <laughs> <laughs> my fucking phone.
1: Turns out oh, my, my family thought
4: I was listening. crazy at Christmas when I said I don't trust their goddamn Alexa because it's like the government <laughs> listening to us, and they thought I was like a fucking psycho. All right, <laughs>
2: like, Ron Swanson. All right, all right, all right Ron Swanson. <laughs> well, if I any, don't trust
4: that shit. You know,
2: Alexa, you
0: can play Jeopardy. It's the
4: government or it's demons. Whatever it is, it's scary, and I don't want any <laughs> part of it. <laughs>
0: Well, if anyone other than the government and demons are listening, <laughs> uh, we'll be rejoining you next month uh, with a new theme. Um, although we do still have uh, some episodes coming up yeah, in January we, that we're looking forward to.
4: We it was the Christmas time; it was holidays, it was so the our Christmas. schedule got weird. So you know, I don't think we have to apologize for anything or whatever. We'll take
1: what we get. Just you. yeah, just, I'm a just sorry. deal with it.
4: Whatever. <laughs> It's we're you're lucky that we decided to record for you. <laughs> Here's in the December. thing. Here's the
1: thing. You're all our friends and family. You already know who we you are. Know. You know. You've seen you my know. stressed
4: out, like wrinkly face. Like you, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I've just been crazed for a month, but now it'll be better. And it'll be fun. I think the rest yeah. of January is gonna be good. We got yeah. two pretty special yeah. episodes coming up. Yeah, it's gonna be cool.
0: So you want to be sure to tune in, and you can monitor us on the socials. That's uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, um, Tori will be continuing her yes. monthly tradition.
4: Uh, I am doing Chill and Kill Horror Night still at Century Bar for Sunday of every month. Uh, tomorrow I will be showing Mandy, so by the time you listen to this, it will have <laughs> <Sorry>. already <laughs> happened. But I luckily know what I'm doing for February. Uh, I'm doing My Bloody Valentine, the original, uh, which is yes. fucking great. So I'm real stoked. Um, I'm probably... As long as I get my shit together, I'll have, like, more treats, and it'll be festive and stuff. So, yeah. (laughs) There we go.
0: (laughs) Well, good stuff, everybody. Again, uh, thanks for uh, chilling with us during this uh, cold month. Um, We have a few more episodes coming up for January, so stay tuned, and we will see you later. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: Google is listening.